Well, how did you like that awkward bit of silence there and the wardrobe malfunction I had? All right, good to see everybody in the house of God this morning. My name is Jesse. I'm uh, just a servant here. Uh, I have no title, and that's the way I like it. So uh, it's good to see you guys. Pastor John is on his summer break, and he sends his love and his greetings to everyone. But we're going to talk today about Romans chapters 7 and 8. So when I was preparing for this message, I started putting it together, and of course I did it in the logical order. You would think you would start with chapter 7, work your way through the death, and then you get to chapter 8 and you work your way through the resurrection, and then you get to the end of it and you talk about reigning. But instead, God said, well, why don't you flip it around? So we're going to start with the reigning part, the best part, and that way if you have to leave early, you know, you've got the best part of the message out of the way. I'm just kidding. Hopefully you stay for the whole thing. But uh, I did feel like we, we should start with reigning. So I wore this shirt on purpose. And uh, as you can see, or maybe not see from the back, because there's hardly any light in here, there's a, uh, a Nike symbol on here. And uh, Nike uh, stands for conqueror. Conqueror. It was the Greek goddess of conquering, of uh, being an overcomer, of conquering. So uh, it's also a Greek word. So let's look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. And this is probably, you know, if Romans is the pinnacle of the Christian theology of how we get saved, how we know Jesus, how we know God, then this passage right here is probably the pinnacle of that. So this is pretty awesome. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, as Brother Mark has been saying, you know, uh, what else is there to get? You get the slow cooker. You get the 1995 special. Well, this is the special right here. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's the greatest thing that God could give us is the access, direct access to his perfect love. There is nothing better that you could get in this world. Even the Beatles sang, all you need is love, right? Because they understood that. And we know that all we need is the love of Jesus Christ. So he has given us direct access to his love. And through that love, he says, we are more than conquerors. And so I want you to know that that word uh, conqueror is the Greek word nikeo, which is where you get Nike from, which means conqueror. But guess what? This is the only time in the New Testament where this passage is used more than conquerors. And I love it because the first word is hooper, which we kind of get the word super from. Hooper, nikeo, more than conquerors. It's Greek. I know it's Greek to me too. But hooper is a Greek word that means more than, above, abundantly above. And so when you match these two Greek words together, you get the word hupernikeo, which means more than a conqueror, or you've got the overwhelming victory. Man, it's so quiet in here. I mean, I, I, I would be shouting. If it was me, I'd be shouting. <laughs> Just kidding. But we're more than conquerors. And so 
uh, I, I like to use word pictures to kind of help me understand this. So I put this together, Super Nike. All right, so Super Nike. So if that helps you understand it better than Hooper Nikeo, Super Nike. Whenever you see that Nike symbol, think, hey, man, I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved us. I'm above, I'm abundantly above these situations that come against me. And so we're going to read that in just a second. But when you put those together, it's Hooper Nikeo. And for those of you who might get this one, Keep calm and be Hooper Nikeo, all right? So keep calm and be more than, and, uh, you know, I like to give gifts. So I printed all these out, and I printed them out. So if you like to put them up, you know, like in your car, at, at your mirror, at wherever it's going to help you remind you, I've got them in the back. So when you're going out, the ushers have them right there at that back table, and uh, you can take one of these home with you, or several if you want. But you know what? We were meant for more. We are meant for more. You know, so, so many times we just slog through our day. We just, we just kind of dredge through it, and we're like, oh, man, is this all there is? No, this is not all there is. God meant us for more. God meant us to do more, to be more, not just for our fame, not just so people know how great we are, to show his love, to show how great he is through us. He wants to use you, amen? So God wants you to be more than a conqueror. So it's not just to get fame or get uh, recognition. It's so that you can bring his fame, his glory to the world. His glory, his fame to others around you. That's the way God designed you. That's the way he created you. He created you for more. Now, you may have to go through some times in the wilderness, times of peril. Hopefully, you don't have to go through any times of nakedness like we read. Hopefully no times of sword, but you know, in other countries, they do go through this stuff. And in all these things, God, what God has done for you through Jesus, you're called to be a more than a conqueror. Let's look at the last two verses, chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I mean, this is a shout. I don't even have to preach. I can just read the word, and it speaks for itself. Because God's word is alive, it's powerful, it's quicker than a two-edged sword. It divides between the soul and the spirit. And what God wants to show us today is how we were meant to be more than conquerors. But guess what? I'm giving you the best stuff at the beginning so you can look back and see how we get to this point. How do we become an overcomer? How do we become more than an overcomer? Because some of you are here today saying, you know what, I don't feel like an overcomer. I feel like I've been trotted on. I feel like I've been, you know, neglected by God. I feel like I've been left out in the cold. And I want you to know that God doesn't feel that way about you. So we're going to look at how do we become an overcomer this morning. Well, we have uh, several things here. God died for us. He resurrected us. But he put us in a position to win in overwhelming odds against the things that would steal our joy, our victory, and our peace. You know, when you feel like your joy level is diminished, your peace is lacking, your patience is, is growing thin, and Jesus' love is feeling distant, it's time to put on your super Nikes, okay, and start speaking the word in that situation. What I say when I feel that way is I say some things like this. I'm an overcomer. I have the peace 
that is not like this world gives because it comes from the Holy Spirit. I have the love of God shed abroad in my heart, covering my heart, healing me, protecting me. And then I talk to the devil and I say, nasty devil. And I tell him he's nasty because he is. He's a, he is a sick puppy, okay, because of what he tries to do to you and to me. He is sick. He's disgusting. And so I talk to him like he's disgusting and he's sick. And I tell him, get away from me and my family. There's nothing that can separate me from God's love, so you might as well stop trying. And this is the way you've got to speak. This is the way you've got to talk. This is the way you've got to act if you're going to be an overcomer. Now, I'm not saying that you need to be famous. I'm not saying that you need to have your name in lights or that you need to be known by every, anybody. But there is one person that should know you, and that's Jesus Christ. And there's another person that should know your name, and that's the devil. Because when, he heard, when the devil heard that Jesus was coming, he said, please don't send us into the, you know, don't, don't send us out of here. At least send us into the pigs. And those pigs went and drowned. There was time and time again where they, they knew, I know who you are. You're the son of God. They knew, the devil knew Jesus' name when he walked. Well, that's the way I want, I want him to know my name. I want him to know that Jesse Miller is here, and there's nothing that you can do. You can try, but there's nothing that you can do to separate me from God's love, because it's a promise that I have in the Word. And when you have something promised in the Word, it's not like you're just using your own uh, desires to, to say something. You're saying something that God already said about you. You're not making this stuff up. You are already an overcomer, whether you understand it or not. Now, there was a man that was traveling from, uh, uh, from England to come to the United States because he had heard that there was a better life here. And he scraped together all the money that he had. And he got a ticket on this boat. And as he was traveling on the boat, he had brought some, some little bits of food. And he, he had literally used the last bit of everything that he had. And so as he's traveling here, he would go by and see the giant ballroom with, with all the tables and the dinner. And he would, he would look in longingly. And as it got closer and closer, he was out of food. And now he's, he's literally eating nothing. He's looking around to try to find something. But he doesn't even have enough money to buy anything in there. But on the last day of the trip, he's looking in there. And one of the waiters comes by and says, sir, may, would you like to have a seat? And he said, oh, no, I, I can't afford anything. I, I've used all my money. I'm so hungry, though. He said, sir, didn't you realize that your ticket also gave you any food that you wanted on this trip? You see, a lot of times we have the provision. We have been given a promise by God, but we never exercise the promise. We never act on it because we don't maybe think that we're worthy because the devil comes and lies to us. He tells us lies. He tells us, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You're not a good enough Christian. That's the greatest lie that he tells to a Christian is that you're not good enough to be like those super Christians. And guess what he tells the, the, the people that don't know him, that don't know Jesus? He tells them, you are good enough. See, he's only got a couple moves. He's only got a couple things he does. He tells people that are far from him, oh, you are good enough. You're, you're a good person. There's nothing wrong with you. But then when we get saved, what happens? We get this uh, we get this conviction, and then all of a sudden the devil brings condemnation. Now, conviction and condemnation are two different things. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. But conviction is when God pricks your heart and tells you that you are, 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 uh, could do better, okay? That you have more, that there's more for you. Condemnation is when the devil brings uh, lies, and he tells you you are worthless. 
that you're no good, that you are, can't do anything. And that's the two lies we have to, that, that's the two things we have to separate, the lies of the devil and the conviction of God. So that's what we're going to talk about. But I want you to know that we should be making a difference in our world by overcoming. Um, one time when I was a youth pastor many years ago, it, it, I can't believe I'm saying many years ago already, but this was literally 15 years ago. I was at a small church in a small town, and uh, we were a church of uh, 350 people in a town of about 5,000. So it was, it was uh, you know, actually a big church in a small town. So here I was at this church, and I had a youth group, and there was uh, one of the kids in my youth group. His dad was a truck driver, and uh, this kid's name was Tyler. His dad was, was uh, Kevin. So Tyler was, uh, he, was a, he was a goof off. He was a, gr- a great kid, but he was always, you know, making jokes. He was a funny kid. But he rarely got serious about anything. So one day, he comes to me, and he's crying. And I said, what happened? He said, I just got a call that my dad fell off the back of his truck when he was unloading something, and he hit his head, and he's unconscious at the hospital. And I, you know, I knew it was serious because this kid was always joking, and this was not a joking face that he had. I said, Tyler, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, all I can tell you is your dad's going to be okay. And I, that just rose up out of the inside of me, out of my spirit. And so I had plans that night to go do something, but all of a sudden it was like this burden came upon me. I need to pray for this, for this guy's dad. And so I started praying, and I prayed. I prayed all night, all night. I prayed. Now, this was a burden. I just had this burden that if I don't pray, this guy's not going to make it. I don't know why. All I heard was that he had a concussion, but in my spirit, I started feeling like I need to, I need to pray this through. I need to believe God for this guy. And so I began to pray, and I began to intercede for him. And I, I said, God, you, he will live and not die. He's not going to die tonight. In Jesus' name, he is going to raise up because this kid needs a dad. And I began to speak the word over him. And I spoke, and I prayed, and I prayed. And I'm sure there was plenty of other people praying. But I know that our combined prayers raised that man up. He's still alive today. And God has used him mightily in the kingdom of God. Now, this isn't to tell you a story about me this is to tell you a story that we are overcomers we have the power of God on the inside of us how many times when our missionaries go overseas and they pray for people and you know things happen how many times have we heard of stories where they prayed for people and God has raised them up from the deathbed raised them up healed them of diseases and saved them miraculously we hear story like after story about this But I want you to know that right here in Poway, right here in San Diego, right here at your own home, you can be an overcomer. You don't have to just listen to the stories. You have the power of God on the inside of you to be more than an uh, overcomer. To have the overwhelming victory in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? Sorry that I'm preaching, but man, I get fired up when I start talking about being an overcomer. I mean, isn't it a lot better than being a defeated person? How many of you like to lose a race? Not me. How many of you like to lose? I mean, we don't even like to lose when we're, when we're next to somebody on the highway. You know, I'm going to win. I'm going to beat this guy. I'm, I'm, I can go 78. That's right. I'm not going to let him win. <laughs> but I want you to know that, that we are called to make a difference. 
Think about this. Think about uh, on America's Got Talent. I know a lot of you probably watch that show. It's, I like watching it because, you know, you got the rags to riches story. You've got the, you know, the person that's waited all their life and finally they get their shot and then they're, you know, famous all of a sudden. But think, I always think about the, the people that are making minimum wage that are moving all the props around on the stage. I think about the, the people that are right next to the people that are famous. They're literally like putting their mics on these famous people. They're, they're coming in doing the makeup for the, the guys that make millions of dollars judging these people. Saying the same things that you and I would say if we sat there in that same chair. But they get millions of dollars for doing it, right? And so I think about that. They're right next to greatness. They're right next to somebody who is, in the world's eyes, has become a great person. Okay? But just being right next to somebody doesn't make them known. In fact, you would probably not know a single one of their names, the people that, that do all the stuff behind the scenes. Okay? But in the world's economy, that makes them not great. But in God's economy, the thing that matters is being known by Him and knowing that there's nothing that can separate us from His love. Whether you are known by anybody or you're not, nothing can separate you from God's love, and that is what makes you great. That's what makes you great. That's what makes us great. That's what makes us happy or successful because we know that money and having millions of dollars doesn't make you happy or successful. There's plenty of divorced, broke people who had millions of dollars and have nothing, and even when they had the money, they weren't happy. So happiness and, and, and prosperity and, and all that stuff doesn't mean a thing. The joy that comes, joy and lasting joy, even in the midst of a trial, that's what makes you happy. That's what gives you long-lasting happiness on this earth. Amen? All right, now, we've talked about overcoming. Now let's talk about resurrection. Resurrection. This is what God does for us. This is what God did for Jesus Christ. Let's look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. And I liked it in the Passion Translation. It's really cool. It says, so now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the Anointed One. For the law of the spirit of life flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated us from the law of sin and death. We talked about this. The devil, his only trick is to make you think that you are not worthy of being set free. The only trick of the devil is to condemn you and put guilt and put condemnation on you. But what Jesus does is he releases you from that. Now, I didn't talk to anybody about this before the service, but I need a volunteer, a guy preferably, a guy volunteer who can run up here. All right, we got one. Hey, would you mind grabbing one of those chairs? I need one of those chairs. Yeah, go ahead. It's right there. One of those chairs. Any chair will do. Any chair will do anything. Just there you go. Perfect. Thank you, Mr. Larkin. Appreciate it. All right. Now, I want you to sit, sit in this chair. Okay, face the audience. All right, now, would it be reasonable to say that you could probably get up from the chair pretty easily? Yes. Go ahead, let's see it. Oh, man, that was, give him a hand. Give him a hand. All right, have a seat, have a seat. Now, I want you to put, put your arms at your side, just loosely is fine. Don't grab onto anything, okay? You can't arch your back, okay? 
Now, I want you to get up from the chair. Oh, sorry. <laughs> poke your eye out. <laughs> All right. It's, you, can't, you can't do it, no matter how hard you try. And he's a pretty strong, you know, in-shape guy, and you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. All right. Get, everybody give him a round of applause. <laughs> we score. <laughs> nice. But I could pull up anybody up here, and with one finger, I... There may be one person in this room who could do it, but I doubt it. I doubt it. Try it. Now, the reason I, the reason I did that is for this, this purpose. Okay, when he was able to operate by his rules, he could get out of the chair like that. When he was able to operate within his rules, however he wanted to get out of the chair, he could get out of it. But all, I, all it took was the effort of one finger to stop him when I told him to put his arms at his side and he couldn't arch his back. By just telling him that, I was able to stop him one, with one finger. Now think about that. When, G, when the devil begins to remind you of your past and remind you of the law, well, you can't keep the law, and he starts telling you all the things that you can't do. Remember, if you are playing into his hand, you're trying to live by his rules. Well, maybe I can't. Maybe I can't do that. Maybe, maybe the law is right. Maybe, maybe all those things I did wrong are preventing me from having a relationship with God. But I want you to know that when you play by your rules, which are the ones that God gave you, that Jesus Christ gave you, when he died on the cross for your sins, when you realize that you're liberated from the devil and the power of his schemes, you realize he's only got one little finger on you because that's all the tricks he has. And you can get right up out of the chair without any effort at all. Because you have the power of the living God on the inside of you, raising you up. Amen? That's what God does for us. That's what he does for us. When he begins to remind you of your past, then remind him of his future. Now, oh, it took a few people a minute, but there you go. All right. Now, if you're going to live a life in the spirit, you have to realize that the case is closed. The matter has been decided already. There's nothing more that you can do in the natural to make yourself holy with God. Not a single thing. There is nothing that you could do in your own power to save yourself. There is nothing, nothing in your power. You do not have the power to save yourself from your sins. And I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it here in just a second. So there's nothing in your power. But remember... The law is good and the law is holy. God brought the law. God gave us the law. So I'm not here to tell you that the law is bad. Just like Mark said last week, the law is not bad. The law is good. The law is holy. If you were able to keep all the things from the law, you would be able to go to heaven by your works of your salvation because you were able to keep everything in the law. But you can't. It's impossible. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. Now, it's great to die to yourself, okay, but it's an even better thing to live like Christ lives on the inside of you. Let's look at this. Let's look at this in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. 
It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he, as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. I mean, that is awesome news. When, you, when God is present in you, he quickens your mortal body. That's what the Bible says in another version. And he, he makes his spirit alive in you. He comes alive. But why, why, is, why does it feel like sometimes we're not alive? Because just because his spirit is in you, it's just because he's given you the power, just like that man on the boat, you have to partake of it. You have to know that it's yours. You have to speak the words that God says in his word. He's given you his word to speak it. Because like we said, there's nothing that you can do to save yourself, except for one thing. The one thing is to accept Jesus as your savior, admit that you were wrong, that you had sin in your life, and believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, and then you'll have new life. How do you do that? There's only one way, through your words. You can't save yourself, so you have to use words. So guess what? If, if, if we use words to get saved, wouldn't it also reason that we use our words to obtain healing from God? Because just because somebody lays their hands on you, that power doesn't just come from the laying on of hands. It comes from the laying on of hands through the power of the Spirit, which is released through the words that we speak. It's the words that we say. It's the things that we speak that bring this to be, that bring life out of these things. Because you don't have the power to do them. I don't have the power to do them. But Jesus has the power to do them through you when you begin to say what he says in his word about you. When you begin to speak what the word says about you, when you begin to declare his promises about you, that's when those promises become alive to you and become released in your life. You've had the promises the whole time. But if you feel like the promises aren't working, maybe check out what you're saying. Because I am the same way as you. I've had times in my life where I feel like I was a million miles from God. Let me just tell you a personal story about myself. When, we, when my wife and I came to this church, and I t I've told this to some of the senior leadership, when we came to this church, I was about as broken of a person as anybody could be. And the reason is this. Uh, when I moved here with my family, we left a good church, a wonderful church. You know, I've been uh, in the ministry for a number of years. And when we came to San Diego, we didn't know anybody. We didn't have any money. We didn't have anything. We just came because we felt like God said, go to San Diego. And we started a church. And let me tell you, I had been pretty successful with the youth group, pretty successful with praise and worship. You know, I was, you know, uh, it, kind of in charge of our, our Alaska uh, youth pastors thing. And I did a lot of different things. And, uh, and so I was, I was uh, at a place where I thought, man, I'm on the right track. God, God has all these things for me to do. And we came here and I thought, man, I'll, I'll, we'll open up a church and all these people will come and God's presence will be poured out. And we, with, with five years, we did see 20 people get saved. We saw people get filled with the Holy Spirit. We saw people get uh, healed. We saw a lot of good things, but it came to the point where I felt like the best 
course for us to do is to close the church down. Now, maybe you're more spiritual than I am, but uh, I, I, I was at about the lowest point I could be in my walk with God because I felt like God told us to come here, and he, he hasn't ever told us to leave. He just told us to come. And so, so what am I supposed to do now, God? I asked him these things. I felt like, you know, I was a complete and utter failure. Because in my mind, I had come here for a purpose, and that purpose did not happen. It didn't pan out. And so when we walked in these doors, I felt God's love. I felt love like I had never been loved before. And there wasn't anything special about the service. It was probably just an average service like we come to every week. Not saying our services are average. (laughs) Edit that out. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Our services are far from average, but you know what I'm saying. You can get into a rhythm of doing doing the church thing where you're you come, this is what we do. We come to church, we have our little singing time, we have our little prayer time, our little praise time, our little preaching time, and then we go home. And, and, and nothing changes because we don't apply it, you know. And so here I was, I felt as broken, but I felt the love of God. And God spoke to me over a year's time of just sitting in the service doing absolutely nothing. I did not volunteer, I didn't help with anything, I didn't get involved. I didn't want anybody to know anything about the past. I just wanted to come and rest in the presence of God. And we all have times where that happens. We all have times where we just need a little break, a little rest, and a little refreshing. And as I began to sit here, I felt like God said to me this. He said, your, uh, your, your anointing is not on what you do for a living. You're, anoint, you're anointed to preach. You're anointed to praise. You're anointed to do worship. But your, your anointing doesn't come just whether or not you have a full-time pastoring job. You are anointed because I put my anointing on you. So I had to learn to be okay in God's presence whether I had a title or not, whether I was known by anybody or not, whether I, w- whether I had a hundred people in the congregation or zero, whether I had a thousand people to preach to or zero. I had to learn that God's love was shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit, whether anybody knew about me or not. And that's what you need to come to the place uh, of as well, is that no matter what you do for a living, no matter what, where you go, is God's love so shed abroad in your heart, so apparent in you that the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Because I was under a lot of condemnation. I didn't even want to talk to my pastor friends. I didn't want to talk to anybody on Facebook. I didn't want to tell them how wonderfully we closed the doors to our church because I felt like a failure. And now, <laughs> now fast forward a year after that, I finished a book that I had been writing for 10 years. Uh, I began to feel like God was speaking to me again about helping other people who were caught in the failure trap and helping them get out of that thinking because it's stinking thinking. You can be the most anointed person in the world up on the biggest stage and still feel like a failure. There's a lot of ministers who are like that because they haven't learned to let the power of God invade their heart whether there's a congregation or not. It's unfortunate. But that's the trap I was in. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you this morning. And through being loved, being uh, in a place where I felt God's presence every week, you know, God did a work in my heart. 
and I, my wife can tell you I'm not the same person I was. I, I was a broken man. I, I was to the point where I didn't want to read my Bible. I just wanted to sit in front of the TV. I just wanted life to just move on past me because I felt like I was done. But God raised me up. God spoke to my heart. And I never have asked Pastor John for anything. I've never asked him to speak in the church. I've never asked him to, to lead worship. I've never done any of that stuff. But it, it just comes because when you're anointed to do something, then God will use you when the time is right. I promise you. God will use you and God will raise you up if you'll allow him to. But he can't use you when you're so broken that you're tied. Everything that you feel as, as being important in your life is tied to what you do or how many people like what you said or how many people are coming to your church or how many people are, are listening to you. When you're tied to that, then you're tied to the applause and the praise of man. And you need to be tied to the applause and the praise of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's going to set you free. I really promise that I did not come to shout at you today, but man, I tell you what, uh, this is such a freeing message for me. I love this. At first, I was a little worried when Pastor John said, uh, were you going to do chapters 7 and 8 on, on a Sunday morning? I said, 7 and 8. You only have done one chapter a week, and you want me to do two. That's like asking somebody you know, to eat one of those 100-ounce steaks in like 45 minutes. Or for vegetarians in the house, like a 100-ounce tofu burger, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, you can imagine that would be hard, especially the tofu burger. <laughs> so there's a lot of good people. There's a lot of great people in the Christian life that, are, that have been set free, but they're not living free. You know, you have the essence of God, on the, of the living God on the inside of you. He's going to quicken you in this life. If you have his essence on the inside of you, he will quicken you. I want you to know that God is a God of law and order, but let's look at what he said about the law in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, Almost all scholars believe this is talking about the Ten Commandments. God wiped those out as far as being the way that you get to heaven. He nailed it to the cross, and now His blood is the way that you get to heaven by accepting Him as your Savior, by saying, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I need your help. I need your power in my life, and so I turn it over to you. That's the only way you get saved now. And thank God that that's the way we get saved. Because I tell you what, trying to live under the law is not a good thing. And we'll find that out in a second. Uh, let's look at death. All right, we've talked about reigning in life. We've talked about the resurrection power of God. He's how he comes in to resurrect us, to breathe life into us, to set us free from this law of sin and death. Now let's look, about, look, look at death. Now death, believe it or not, is the secret to the Christian life. It's the gateway to our life in the Spirit. Death is that gateway. The secret to the Christian life is death. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 1. I know we're going backwards, but let's look at this. Romans 7, 1. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? Okay. This is deep. I, I studied this out. I looked at the Greek. I looked at the Septuagint. I looked at the Dead Sea Scrolls. No, not really. Uh, 
I studied this out, but this is really deep. When you're dead, they, you can't collect money from somebody that's dead. When you're dead, you, their crime is done. It's been, when somebody's dead, what are they going to do to put a dead guy in a cell at a prison? No, that would be stupid. When somebody is dead, there's nothing that they can collect on. There's nothing that can be taken from somebody that's dead. Now, in America, we found ways to have the family take the burden, of course. <laughs> we, we have found ways with, with litigation and whatnot. But, you know, really, if somebody dies and they have no family and no way to collect, then whatever happens, they're dead. Nobody can get any money. They, that guy is gone. This person is gone. When you're dead, you are dead. I know this is deep stuff, but it's, it's revolutionary if you'll get what I'm saying. And here's what I'm saying. When we are trying our best to fulfill the, the, the letter of the law of what God laid out for us, okay? Just think about the Ten Commandments. You know, you, sh- you, you shouldn't steal, okay? Um, I, I've only stolen maybe once or twice in my life. And uh, I actually felt so guilty, I gave it back and I apologized. <laughs> so stealing wasn't ever a problem for me. But when I was a kid, I would lie. Okay, who doesn't lie? Who hasn't lied? You know? My wife has to lie to me and say, hey, you look, you look good today, Jesse. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, but we lie, we cheat, we steal, we've done all these things, okay? You know, maybe you haven't done all the things, but if you do one wrong thing, then all of a sudden, all the guilt of the law is laid upon you. You are guilty, right? If you do something against the law, then you're guilty, in fact, when I was driving here this morning, I broke the law. <gasps> I was going 75 and a 65. Now, before, before I, I get crucified here myself, I'm sure nobody here has broken the law of speeding, right? But if you've broken that law, you're guilty. You deserve a ticket. You deserve a fine. You know, I've, I've pled my guilt to you here this morning. I deserve that fine. But thankfully, there was no policemen around to give me that fine for speeding but what i'm saying is is that when you break one thing in the law you are guilty of breaking the law okay now think about this you say well if i if i was adam and eve who were the first two people in the bible i wouldn't have done anything wrong but they had one one command one thing don't eat from one tree you got everything, you got all these animals, you got all this fruit, you got all this beautiful place that you, I've given you to live. And they just had one command that they couldn't even keep one command. And then get this, Moses, fast forward, you know, probably a thousand, fifteen hundred years, we get to Moses. Now Moses is tasked with, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the law of the uh, people of Israel. And he goes up on the, mountain, on the mountain on Mount Sinai to get the law that God's going to give him. And he tells Aaron, hey, Aaron, just make sure the people wait here for a few weeks while I go up here. I don't know exactly how long it's going to be, but I'm just going to go up on this mountain. God's going to give me a law. and I'm going to bring it down. This is going to be the law we're going to live by. While he's up on the mountain, he's only up there for a few weeks, 40 days, right? He's up on this mountain. He comes down, and Aaron's already let the people make a golden calf to worship. Within a few weeks, they couldn't even keep the law to say, we're just not going to do anything until you come down. 
Their law was only just to not do anything. They couldn't even keep that. He comes down, and then Moses gets so mad, and he's got the tablets of the Ten Commandments, which, which were literally written by the hand of God. God took his finger and wrote these things. But Moses gets so mad, he breaks him on the ground. <laughs> he's like, great, guys, i got to go up there again. And he has to go and get a second set of Ten Commandments. There was no hard drive to save them. There was no 3D God hand printer. Okay, there was not, he had to go up on the mountain and get the Ten Commandments again. They couldn't even keep the law before the Ten Commandments. When, when it kept going further and further, there, there became 613 laws to keep in the Jewish custom. There's no way anybody could keep 613. They couldn't even keep one. Stay away from one tree. So when you think about it that way, and people try to, bring you back under condemnation of the law and condemnation of the past. And, well, you know, brother, you didn't come to church that one Sunday, so I guess God doesn't love you as much as that other person who came to church that one Sunday. And you begin, and that stuff starts to brew in you. And you start thinking, well, maybe I'm not that spiritual. Maybe I'm not as holy as I thought I was. But I want you to know that just because you broke that law, don't feel guilty or condemnation None of these people could keep the law. Nobody has ever been able to keep the law of Moses. Nobody has ever been able to keep the laws that God gave us because they were there to show us our sin and our need for a Savior, our need to have a connection with the Holy One again. But let's look at Romans chapter 7 and verse 4. And this is good news. Don't worry, I'm not going to leave you on a downer note. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ, and now you're united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old nature, our old sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now, oh, I love that but now. I preached a message one time on the buts of God, and this is one of my favorites. But now... We have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Amen? So we have been released. You have been released. I'm here to tell you that the law revealed sin, but Jesus reunited our spirits. Okay? The original plan was for us to be walking in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day, speaking to God our Father. But sin broke that. But when Jesus came and he died on the cross, he breathed. The first thing he did when he saw the disciples, he came and he breathed on them. It said, receive the Holy Spirit. You are God-breathed. You have been breathed life again. The first thing that happened when Jesus created man was to breathe from the nostrils of God. He breathed his breath. And then when we were, were, were uh, uh, put away from, from him because of our sin, that was cut off. But when Jesus died, he once again, the first thing he does is breathe new life into us to tell us we have been reunited with God the Father. You have been reunited to the, to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Your relationship with him is reunited. 
You can talk to God at any time. You don't have to come see a priest. You don't have to come see anybody. You can go right to God. You can have your own personal throne room. I have it in my car. I have it, I have it here. To, I like to go and walk in this dark room back here and pray by myself because I can talk to God and I can tell him about uh, my day and I can tell him about things. At my house, I like to talk to him in the middle of the night when everybody's asleep so that it's just me and God talking to each other. And I tell him things, and he speaks to me. Yes, God speaks to me, and he can speak to you too. If you're not hearing from him, then you need to start talking to him. Because he is definitely a God that loves to talk, but too many times we don't give him the time to talk to us. Because we're so busy with our lives with this and that. But God wants to talk to you. And so let me just end with this, because I know we're running short on time. Death was God's plan to reunite man with himself, but look what Jesus said about himself in John chapter 12 and verse 23. He said, Jesus replied, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Imagine that you are a kernel being planted in the ground. And when you begin to let the water of the word wash over you, and you begin to let the soil and the nurture of God be breathed into you, and you let the air come, and the photosynthesis from his light his be it begins to beam in your heart, guess what happens? You begin to bloom, and you produce fruit. And death is the only way to get fruit. Death of another fruit is the only way to get fruit. So guess what? You're called to go and produce death in a bunch of people. That's really what you're called to do, to make people die to themselves and become alive to God. Amen? And so I love this passage. God, um, God breathed, okay? And Paul says, oh, what a miserable man I am. Who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? Oh, my goodness. Think about, think about Paul, and I'm, I'm going to end with this, I promise. This is my elastically speaking, evangelistically speaking, and close. <laughs> God created, uh, created us to have a relationship with him, but because of the law, you know, people did some crazy things. And one of the things that Paul did was he went around persecuting Christians because he thought he would get closer to God by persecuting Christians. Paul thought that he would get closer to God by killing Christians. This is what the law does. It twists our mind to think that you could be more holy by killing and persecuting Christians. This is how far the law had twisted him. And trust me, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a lawyer in, the, in every sense of the word. He was a lawyer. He knew the law inside and out, the law of Moses. And so he knew what he was saying. Oh, what a miserable person I am. He said this. Who will free me? But we know who freed us, Jesus. Jesus freed us. We identify with his death when we're baptized, and we understand that we come to newness of life when we raise up out of the water. That's what baptism is, is identifying with his death. So I want to leave you with that thought, that when you, the more you can learn to die to the sinful nature, die to your desires, die to the things that you think are making you holy and begin to live and let God's word breathe life into you, he will do it. Amen? God wants to breathe life in you. And so we're, we're going to end the service now, but I want to, I want to say, if you're here, uh, let's, just, let's just have our heads bowed and our eyes closed because I can't, I can't preach a message about this topic 
and not give the opportunity for somebody to come and give their heart to God. God wants to be reunited with you this morning. If you are here and you say, I've never asked Jesus to be Lord of my life. I've never given my heart to him. But you want to. Right now is the absolute best time you could do it. Don't wait. Don't wait till later. Don't think that later on it's going to be better or you're going to have more courage. There's never more courage than right now, right after you hear the word of God. Just act on that. Come forward. I want the, uh, the uh, prayer teams to come forward and be ready. If you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ, we have people that are here right now that want to pray this, the prayer with you for you to have new life with Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you said, you know what, I'm not experiencing that, that vibrancy. I'm not experiencing that relationship with God like I should. But I want to have that relationship that you talked about, Jesse. I want to have that relationship where we can be reunited with God every day and He breathes His life into me. I feel like I'm far from Him. If that's you, I want you to just come down the aisle and come up and, and pray with one of the prayer team. God is here today and He wants to reunite Himself with you. That's what He does. If you need healing this morning, it's, everything we're talking about is done with the work of our words by us speaking healing. We're speaking the word of God. That's how you get healed. There's no magical potion. There's nobody up here that has anything different than what any other Christian has. What we have is the power of God, and that power is opened and operated by speaking life into your body, and, and that will produce healing in your life. Amen? So if you're here and you need healing, come down. But if you, if you uh, don't need anything, I want to remind you, if you want one of those papers in the back, that uh, the ushers will be back there with one of those Super Nike papers or the Hooper Nikeo papers, and they'll be glad to give you one or a couple as you go out. But uh, God bless you, and I encourage you to come down or just spend a little time worshiping as Josh sings some songs. But God bless you this morning. Thank you. You give life. You are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Your breath. 